Hello, it's Wednesday, January the 26th. This is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail Newsroom. Coming up... Everything is going up in price, particularly, it seems, your broadband provider. Good advice here from Money Mail. Make sure you're reading the small print. The woke tendency, how it's rearing its head in capitalism and in the corporate world. If there is an invasion of Ukraine by Russia, could the lights go off if Russia turns off supplies of gas? But first, the police investigation that's going to be the most high profile probably of the year. The police officers are going into Number 10 Downing Street and Whitehall to investigate Partygate. So in a defiant performance today at Prime Minister's Questions, the Boris Johnson said he's not resigning uh, as he refused to answer questions about that Sue Gray report into Downing Street parties. Still not in his grasp, or at least we don't think so. The Metropolitan Police Commissioner, Cressida Dick, has announced there is an investigation now into a number of events in Downing Street and Whitehall in relation to potential coronavirus regulation breaches. Chris Hobbs joins you now. He's a former special branch detective uh, and um, has been involved in all sorts of complex investigations. Chris Hobbs, you almost dread, wouldn't you, being told uh, you are going to be in Downing Street and Whitehall to do this investigation? Absolutely. I would imagine that there will be detective chief superintendents and superintendents across the Met that will be dreading that phone call that will give them the poison chalice of this investigation. Uh, I don't know who's going to be the uh, unfortunate officer that's going to ultimately be responsible, but make no mistake, this uh, this won't be popular and they'll all be keeping their fingers crossed that the, the phone doesn't, uh, doesn't ring and, uh, and they're deputy to deal with this. And of course, they're sort of damned either way. If they if they pr- proceed and decide that some people have breached the rules, but not the prime minister, they're damned. If they decide the prime minister's breached the rules and give him a, a, an on the spot fine or whatever it is, um, uh, they can be damned. They, they, they probably this is probably the last thing even Cressida Dick, the Metropolitan Police Commissioner, wanted to do to get involved in. Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously been a change of tact by the Met as this this story has developed. Um, It's a classic, isn't it, with with policing. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. And initially, when this story broke, the Met were criticised for not getting involved. And now, of course, they're being criticised for getting involved. Um, It it has been very difficult. I I just think it's a a pity, given what else is going on in the world, that we're focused on this. Um, I'm more worried about Ukraine than I am about yeah. Boris. Yeah. Um, but but at the same time, you think a bit of common sense at the start of this. When well, the they could have just told the truth broke, would have helped. If they just told well, the truth exactly. at the outset, it would have gone away very quickly. Well, what could have happened? Uh, I was thinking about this and had a couple of discussions. What could have happened when it was obvious something had gone on, that uh, an agreement to be reached between Downing Street and the police, Downing Street senior officials would say look if you were involved in this put your hands up tell us you were involved um what's going to happen is you'll get issued with a fixed penalty notice you'll Mm. pay the fixed penalty notice you'll be reprimanded and then if that had been done i think that would have taken the sting out of the Mm. situation that we we now face but common sense didn't prevail and it's the whole thing has escalated 
Um, and, and now, of course, it's going to be police involved and, and police, of course, as you know, Andrew, are under huge pressure doing lots of different things at the moment. Yes, they are. Can you explain so listeners understand the difference here, Chris? So when Tony Blair was interviewed by the Metropolitan Police three times during the Cash for Honours inquiry, which lasted over 14 months, this was whether Downing Street had been involved in the sale of honours uh, in return for political donations. God forbid that any political party would ever do that, of course. Um, But the Prime Minister then, Tony Blair, was interviewed as a witness. If Boris Johnson is interviewed uh, uh, under caution, that means he's being interviewed as a potential as a suspect. Is that the difference? That would be the case. Yes, yes, it will be. There will be reasonable grounds to suspect that he's breached the rules. Uh, and if he is intra- uh, interviewed, yes, it will be under caution. The easiest thing for Boris, probably, well, maybe not now, but would have been to say, yes, I breached the rules, um, put, I put my hands up, and here's, here's my £60 for the uh, fixed penalty notice. But yeah. that isn't going to happen. And how long do you think it will take? Because, as I say, cash for honours lasted 14 months. This is rather more straightforward. Sue Gray, uh, the senior civil servant, has given the police, we understand, details of the seven or eight parties that she thinks breached the rules. She's given them the details of that. there, And so they can... It's not as if they have to establish which events took place. They know that already. Then it would be simply a matter of speaking to the people who were there, I imagine. Well, that's right. And... Uh you know, it could be a case of, of having to interview people, having to interview people under caution. Then you come, where are they going to be interviewed? Are they going to report to a police station and so on and so forth? Um, the easiest thing, as I said, would be for them to say, yes, I was wrong. Here's my £60 and be done with it. As it is, I, I rather suspect that, as, as you indicated, this is going to be a fairly protracted, drawn-out affair with big files being submitted to the Crown Prosecution Service. Um, to decide what further action is going to be taken and how far these these breaches went. Um, I must admit at the time, there's so many COVID rules that I completely lost track of them. Um, yeah. They kept chopping and changing. But as I say, it's not something that if you if you're a rank and file detective, constable or sergeant or inspector, you really aren't going to want to be involving yourself in this. But clearly someone... Uh, is going to have to do this and, and a number of officers are going to be deputed. But like you say, hopefully it could be resolved quickly if everyone just who was involved put your hands up and say, yes, it was me. I'll take the rap on the knuckles. I'll take the punishment rather than let this go on and on and distract us from what really, frankly, is worrying the life out of me, if not anybody yeah. else. Well, I think you're probably right. That's Chris Hobbs, who is a former Metropolitan Police officer, talking about that police investigation in Number 10 and in Whitehall. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pierce Show for free, in full, along with our podcast and video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. So could Europe's gas supply, that includes part of Britain too, be turned off if Russia does invade the Ukraine? Uh, both the United States, European Union, Britain has threatened economic sanctions on Russia uh, if there's an invasion. Vladimir Putin, of course, could choose to retaliate by turning off the gas supply, leaving Russia. Joe Biden, the President of the United States, has pledged to ensure Europe's supply will not be interrupted 
but can he do so? Mike Forward joins me now. He's Senior Research Fellow at the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies. Um, Mike Forward, um, we know that the, one of the reasons we've got such a, a, a sky-high price for gas is the way Vladimir Putin, who is a major supplier, has been manipulating the price and the amount of gas that's being supplied already. I want quite I say he's been sort of manipulating it. I mean, they've well, what has happened in the last uh, sort of couple of months is flows from Russia have reduced, right? Um, which is sort of squeezing the markets, you know, making it keep keeping the prices high, mm. um, and and that, that 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 has certainly happened. They probably could send more gas, although the buyers in Europe are, don't seem to be nominating up to their contractual uh, amounts. So. Um, but in terms of the sort of you know, war in Ukraine, sort of what might yeah. happen, I mean, obviously, if there's an invasion or incursion to a greater or lesser extent, then it's clearly, you know, sanctions will be imposed on, on Russia by the West uh, of, of sort of varying uh, types of sanctions. Um, it, in terms of Russia possibly curtailing supplies, that doesn't seem, uh, in, in my view, to be very likely I mean, Russia has a you know, quite right actually a pretty good reputation as being a reliable supplier for Europe. Been very few interruptions over the last you know, 30, 40 years. Um, and it's a reputation it kind of um, you know, it it wants wants to keep. And, and Putin and and Russians have been saying, well, Europe needs to sign more long-term contracts uh, to get more gas from Russia. Um, so. You know, if they if they curtail supplies, then that that, that throws it out the window completely, uh, and then the, it's a whole different type of um, sort of, sort of long term game there for Russia. There there won't be a reliable supplier anymore. Uh, the second thing is, could Europe itself put sanctions on the imports of energy from Russia? Um, that seems to be to be a, a disastrous option option for Europe. Russia not only supplies a lot of Europe's gas, also a lot of the oil, a lot of the coal as well. So, um, you know, they, that would be not, not, like, like the cartoon character putting a gun against his head, saying, if you don't give me what I want, I'll blow my own brains out. So that that, that doesn't seem to be, be, be very likely. I guess um, the possibility, of course, there's been talk about removing Russia's right to use the SWIFT international banking payment system, yeah. If that happened and Russia couldn't get paid for its gas, then it's possibly more likely that um, uh, that they would, would curtail gas supplies. But that may not happen for a few months as, as soon as payments stop coming through. I mean, I think, I think on balance, it doesn't seem too likely there'll be any interruption in the flow of supplies. I think the only possible scenario, or more likely, is that if there's obviously a war in, in Ukraine on the ground, mm. then the infrastructure which brings gas through Ukraine could get damaged and obviously in the middle of a war zone would be very difficult to repair. So that could lead to some curtailment of flows. Um, so that, 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 that's one which is possibly more likely than the other, other, other scenarios. And, 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 and if that were to happen and, and if lights were to go out across Europe, what about... Britain, um, Mr. Forward, how much gas do we do we import any gas from Russia? Short answer is no. I mean, physically we don't. I mean, clearly we import gas from the from the uh, well from Norway by pipeline, from Netherlands and Belgium, and Netherlands and Belgium get get their gas importing gas from Norway, Russia, and elsewhere. So there could be knock-on effects in terms of the possible diversion of uh, Norwegian flows to. 
um, to, to continental Europe. Um, but so we are, we, we're not self-sufficient. We import you know, more than half of our uh, you know, gas demand, but we import a lot of LNG. And, and especially this month, we've had vast quantities of LNG coming into the European market and vast quantities into the UK. So I think physically, uh, we wouldn't necessarily be limited in terms of gas supply, but the price would, would go through the roof. So and it's already, and it's already, it's already it's also, it's gone it's through the roof already. It's already on the 50th floor, yes. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. To the 100th, yeah. So yeah. it, it would be more a price effect, I think, than a, a shortage of gas effect. I understand, yeah. yeah. What, what just finally, the President of the United States, he spoke out about this, and he said if the Russian gas supply is disrupted to Europe, then other sources will be used, and he'll do what he can. But what can he do in the United States? Um, because, I, I mean, Russia, Iran and Qatar, I think, are the biggest producers of gas. Qatar's full pelt already and supplying a lot of gas to Asia. I can't imagine... Uh, Joe Biden is going to persuade Iran to give a lot more gas to Europe. Well, Iran only sends gas to Turkey, so there's no right. from Iran. Because, yeah, I mean, the, the problem is is the, the liquefied natural gas market, which is our other alternative other than yeah. pipeline gas, is, uh, is already running you know, flat out, basically. Um, there has been some more supply come on in the last couple of months. A lot of that has come to Europe. But if there was a curtailment, then what would be like to happen, you know, driven by the price, is, is, is cargoes will get diverted away from particularly Asian markets. You could possibly make up gas supply from elsewhere um, and to come into the European market. But any significant curtailment yeah, means higher prices and ultimately we'd have to switch off demand. And especially vulnerable would be the countries which you know, import a lot of gas from Russia, you know, Germany, Austria, all the Eastern European ones. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you could see, depending on the severity of it, you kind of could see you know, closure of industry, some power cuts, etc. But I think just, just one final thing, Andrew. Sure. In, in terms of just the infrastructure in Ukraine, then there is the possibility to divert some, if not or a large part of those flows, via the route which goes through Belarus and Poland, that's called the Yamal Europe pipeline. That's running at a very, very low, almost zero flows at the moment on that route. Um, so there would be opportunities to divert flows along that route, which could limit to some extent the impact of any complete shutdown of Ukraine flows. So it may that's not amazing. be... It's not, not, nothing is great news, obviously, but no, it, um, no. there are, but there are bit, ways of, um, exactly. of, of, of mitigating All is not. the... All is not lost. All is not lost. (laughs) Fascinating. Really good to talk to you about that. That's Mike Forward. He's Senior Research Fellow at the Oxford Institute of Energy Studies. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe and you can get access to our podcast, videos, opinion pieces and much more. Don't forget to get in touch by tweeting us at mailplus or you can tweet me at Tory Boy Pierce. I might even reply. So the free market think tank, the Adam Smith Institute, has published a report and it's arguing companies should ditch woke capitalism or risk derailing the UK's post-pandemic recovery. They claim companies adopting social issues are taking the focus away from making profit, which is, of course, going to be crucial to bolstering the economy. The company Unilever springs to mind. Joining me now is Matt Lesh, who's a fellow at the Adam Smith Institute and author of the report. Matt Lesh, is the woke brigade going to get into every single aspect of national life we know they're all over universities and all over the media now it seems they're clawing their way into the square mile in the corporate sector 
Mm, it is certainly something that's become extremely trendy, I suppose, in elite circles. I mean, it's it's the ideas, of course, that start in a university to some extent, and then over time, as younger people graduate and, and take up jobs, not just not just in the media and the civil service, but also in, in the in the square mile and businesses, these ideas are going to filter through. Um, whether or not they're, they're good or bad, it it does seem like it's questionable, particularly in the business context, whether or not companies should exist for this purpose when they obviously have quite clear legal fiduciary responsibilities to their shareholders to deliver profits. That their goal is not to solve racial equality or to solve climate change. It's to create a product that consumers want to sell it and and make them happy, hire people, pay their taxes and deliver profits. Yeah, and we often talk about Unilever, one of the great uh, multinationals, great I mean in terms of size. They've they've very much politicised one of their products, Ben & Jerry's ice cream. Yeah, Ben & Jerry's ice cream is, is, uh, if you didn't know it from afar, you might be deceived into thinking that it was a a cool little brand. Of course, it is Unilever, a massive multinational. And they've famously pushed forward a whole bunch of different environmental causes. And most recently, uh, Ben & Jerry's are refusing to sell um, ice cream in the West Bank. The story about Unilever is quite fascinating. Um, You you saw uh, the CEO, Alan Jerk, declare a few years ago that he wanted every Unilever brand to be a brand with a purpose. Of course, their yeah. latest purpose is the fact that they're sacking 1,500 staff yes. after consistent underperformance um, and criticisms that they're distracted and, and lack um, strategic direction. Um, and there's, this, there's Terry Smith, who's a, a major investor um, through Fundsmith in the company, complaining that they're too obsessed with showing their sustainability credentials rather than on the fundamentals of the business. Yeah, and, and I was very curious because Unilever said they wanted to define the purpose of a lot of their brands, including Hellman's Mayonnaise. What are they talking about defining the purpose of Hellman's Mayonnaise? It's so people like me can put mayonnaise on our salad. That's it. Look, and it? I, I, I Why, love what mayonnaise. else is it meant to be about? It's a good product. Mayonnaise is a great product. This is where yeah. I think these companies are getting deceiving themselves. People buy their products because they enjoy their products, not for these secondary yeah. purposes. You see this in surveys. People are happy enough to see brands upon environmental purposes, whatever. It sounds nice enough. But the first thing people care about, first and foremost, when asked, is they want a good product and quality customer service. And when the companies forget that and start alienating some of their, their customer base and not actually ensuring the success of the, their, their products, they end up being um, unsuccessful as a result. Yeah. Um, I suppose you can argue companies like Greg's, um, they've seen positive feedback, they say, because they've introduced plant-based alternatives. But I don't think that's ne- so much woke. That's, that's just tapping into the fact a lot more people are vegetarian or even vegan. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, they've spotted a customer base. Uh, they've created a, a product that people enjoy and they're, they're going well with that. I, I agree. I don't think that's particularly woke in itself. What concerns me is when they get confused between their, their goals in terms of serving customers and they subsume that to other goals. Um, and in the process, rather than creating a great product like Greg, Greg's has done, they actually undermine their products and they undermine the purpose of their business. But more broadly, and this is where I think the, the deeper kind of philosophical question comes in, I wonder the extent to which by saying, you know, the product we create isn't that important, our real purpose is not actually about profit, it's not about our customers and, and living them a service. It's about some other purpose. They're really undermining the, the broader free market system in which they operate. They're, they're undermining the principles and the values um, that, that are the basis of uh, the liberal capitalist system um, that they need and that we all need and provides us prosperity. And that's what actually um, worries me the most. Yeah, well, and as you say, and look at Unilever, who've been banging on and on, dub soap, Ben and Jerry's, Hellman's mayonnaise, and um, they're now, as you say, axing 1,500 staff because the company's not performing as it's supposed to.
they've been obsessing about the wrong things. Mm, well, I think I think that's exactly right. Um, and ultimately, they're gonna they're gonna have to face some some, some significant change. There was all this controversy over a, a failed bid um, uh, to do with Claxo Smith Klein. You've now they've now got a, a um, activist investor coming in, which has actually led the company's got up a little bit in share price in recent days. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we were to see some leadership change there and, and a refocus of the company towards ensuring that its classic brands are delivering value. What's interesting about Ulive is they've done all right, but significantly worse than a lot of the other major conglomerates. They're significantly worse than their competitors. And that's what the, the market's seeing and wondering, why are you talking about sustainability when you can't get the fundamentals of your business right? Absolutely right. That's Matt Lesh, who is a fellow uh, at the Adam Smith Institute, who's produced this rather corking report, if I may say so. So Deputy Sports Editor Matt Gatwood's here with the latest uh, sports news. Uh, England rugby, problems with uh, injuries. Who are they playing then? So the Six Nations. Ah, it's starting already. It starts a week on Saturday. Okay. Uh, England's first fixture is um, at in, in Scotland at Murrayfield. So a difficult start. Yeah. You know, always difficult to go play away yeah. against Scotland in the cauldron that will be Murrayfield. Yeah. Um, and obviously England's performance in the last Six Nations, you'll remember, they, they were awful. They finished fifth. They did. Uh, they I had remember. a appalling time and there was a lot of pressure on Eddie Jones. You don't remember a thing about I it. I do not. There was a lot of pressure on... Uh, on Eddie Jones at the end of that, yeah, um, and so he needs, you know, he needs a good Six Nations with the World Cup uh, a year away. He needs a good Six Nations. So um, they, he's also um, had good autumn internationals, uh, England. I must add. So he's, you know, the the team feel like they're now uh, back heading in the right sure. direction, following the following the last Six Nations. But all his best laid plans going out the window because of injuries striking down the team. So Farrell, uh, his go-to fly half-stroke inside centre, has been ruled out of the entire Six. Nations, so that's obviously a massive blow. Mm. He's his captain. Uh, he's one of his key uh, experienced players. Um, uh, Johnny May, the wing, has just been ruled out as well. Uh, he's got other injuries around Courtney Laws, who would have been the backup captain, who's got concussion, so he's going through return to action protocols uh, uh, and etc. Uh, etc. Et so he's been hit with a lot of injuries. So he's got some decisions to make ahead of next Saturday about what flavour the team's going to be. Obviously, everyone wants to see Marcus Smith, this really exciting new fly half play. He's fit and well and firing, so there's going to be a lot of attention on him. He's brought back George Ford, who's a lot more experienced. He's putting a bit of pressure on Smith, and it'd be interesting to see which of those two play with Farrell out of the picture, who offers that experience that um, that would have been there otherwise. So lots of decisions for Eddie mm. Jones, and we're only a week out, so there'll be plenty more Six Nations. Uh, you look thrilled, and there'll be wait. plenty more Six Nations to talk about over the coming weeks. I do know who the Six Nations are, though. Get, go go right, on. Okay, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, England, France... Italy. Very good. There we are. Very good. And Italy are useless. They're always Unfortunately, last. Italy are always the wooden spooners, and yeah. there's a lot of chat about whether they should be in it, whether it should be oh, well, in it last it. time, others we'd have been in well, Exactly, there is that. Or whether it should be a more uh, more open and inclusive. Indeed, should yeah. there be other uh, countries in it, like Georgia or all these other countries who are trying to improve their. Right. But, uh, Who's but, yeah. the favourites? France are a very good side, right. so I would say I would say France probably favourites. Uh, I'm not sure who the bookies have got down, but I'd be surprised if it isn't France. I haven't checked on the actual right. being a you know okay. a non-gambler, obviously. I sure. Now cricket, it's the Middlesex chairman now has put his foot in it. This is and of course Middlesex play at Lords, the spiritual home of cricket. Indeed. Uh, 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 I've been I've, I've been there a couple of times for dinner actually, and I remember being taken into the cricket museum and being shown the ashes. It's like an egg cup. 
It is very small. Yeah, all that fuss about yeah, such a little trophy. Yeah, I, know, I know, it's incredible, isn't it? Now, what's he said? He's put his foot in it about race. So he put his foot in it, yeah. So the DCMS hearing yesterday, which is obviously into racism in cricket, mm. in light of the Azim Rafiq sure. uh, he scandal, he was the whistleblower, yeah. uh, the Yorkshire player, who uh, brought to, highlighted all the, the racist abuse he'd suffered during his career. And subsequently, there's been a DCMS hearing into it. And yesterday, some of the county chairmen were called to explain why there was a yep. lack of diversity within the game and unfortunately uh, for Michael Farrell he uh, resorted to um, some lazy stereotyping saying well Asian kids prefer uh, being educated than they than playing sport and black kids go off to play football uh, and rugby rather than cricket. Now um, I'm sure those statistics are possibly true but the reasons for that are the problem within the game are that there isn't a, uh, enough role models mm. uh, there aren't enough coaches of different backgrounds to encourage these kids to stay in the game yeah. and not to turn away and walk and, and turn towards other uh, sports um, and, and there's no yeah, as I say there's not, not enough role models of black county cricketers black county coaches mm. uh, or Asian coaches and How Asian often do you see a black umpire well exactly so these are the problems that the counties have and yeah. the fact that the chairman this chairman in particular yesterday didn't couldn't realise that and couldn't see it and couldn't vocalise it uh, is part of the problem with cricket and of course lots of ex-players yesterday were coming out and criticising him mm. for his for what he said and saying that this is exactly the problem with county cricket and that there's old white men in he, the power. I just about to say that's what the argument is he's an old white man I don't know how old he is um, nothing wrong with being old of course no, uh, yeah, uh, he. I think he's in his seventies. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and people were yesterday, obviously, and today, saying, "Well, that's the problem." You know, mm. you've got these old white men uh, in these positions of power, and that's why there's a lack yeah. of diversity across the game. Will he have to resign? He apologised yesterday, said that his, uh, his words have been taken out of context. Oh, they always say, <laughs> they that, always say that. And as things stand, he is uh, still in a job. Right, OK. So he'll be gone soon then. <laughs> and finally, a week to gain transfer window. That's football, is it? That's football. So, yeah, right. the end of January is the end of so the transfer window. So we're going to see window. all these ludicrously inflated um, transfer deals going through, are we? Possibly, yeah. I mean, it's been quite quiet so far in the first 25 days. So it always happens. It's a quiet 25 days. Mm. Uh, and then it builds up and then in the last week everyone panics and there'll be a lot of scrambling around and player prices being bumped up as clubs vie for the same player etc etc so there's some important deals that need to be done Tottenham are desperate to bring in some reinforcements right. because their manager they've landed a great manager in Antonio Conte mm. but he's been very clear in pointing out that the team aren't good enough and he needs better players uh, and obviously the the hidden threat is that if he doesn't get them he will walk away right. Tottenham can't afford that but they also they can't afford to buy any new players because they've got a whacking great new stadium to pay off mm. so there's this balancing act a very delicate balancing act there with Daniel Levy, the chairman of Spurs, mm. who's notoriously uh, careful with his money, mm. and a manager who wants new players in order to keep him happy. So they will buy some players, but whether it's enough to uh, keep Antonio Conte happy and get them into the top four uh, remains to be Where's seen. Where's their new stadium then? They've got rid of White Hart Lane, have they? Yeah, they almost built the new stadium almost on top of White Hart Did Lane, they? but just, just basically rebuilt. And so it's mm. a fantastic stadium, um, but it obviously cost a lot of money. And, you know, then they lost the income from gate receipts during yeah. uh, COVID, etc. So they They've got a lot of money um, to pay back and don't have a lot of money, Daniel Levy would say, on spending, on buying new players. Um, but, you know, they they need to now, as I say, back this manager, otherwise they're, they're in danger of losing him. Uh, there's lots of things, but Newcastle have got a lot of money sloshing about.
about, as we know. So they're trying to get lots of Saudi money. They they? have. So they're trying to get a lot of deals done because they're in the relegation Mm. zone. So they desperately want reinforcement so they don't go down. Uh, Arsenal are trying to get rid of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who they've fallen out with. So there's lots of deals to be done in the next um, in the next week, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting as we watch all these clubs suddenly scrambling around, desperate to get this player in and that player out. And you can be certain Mail Sport will get all the best exclusives on the transfer window as (laughs) ever. That's Matt Gatwood, who is our deputy sports editor. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Broadband providers have been accused of exploiting the small printing contracts to increase their prices. Internet providers are more and more raising monthly fees by around 10%, which they claim is necessary to pay for investment in data networks. But there are still ways to cut your bills if you read Money Mail. And who better to tell us about that than Amelia Murray, who is the chief Money Mail reporter at the Daily Mail. Amelia, you're on their case. Quite. I mean, it's pretty shocking what's yeah. going on at the moment. I mean, yeah. if it isn't hard enough for families already with rising yeah. energy bills, um, rising prices in supermarkets and just generally everyone being squeezed, we've now got these telecoms providers telling us that they are increasing the prices of broadband. We've spoken about broadband in the past and mm. over the last couple of years, more people have become dependent on their connection, working from home, yeah. communicating with loved ones if they're um, yeah. isolating, yeah. which means... You know, the the broadband companies aren't struggling, are they, if more people are dependent on the service? However, what I've discovered is that since 2020, uh, lots of the big ones, including BT, um, have baked in these annual price rises which are in line with inflation and then some so bt for example is inflation uh plus five point no inflation basically in total it's 9.3 percent and the latest inflation figure was 5.4 and what, are, and what are they putting up? 9.1? 9.3. Outrageous, isn't it? Um, and, you know, they'll tell you it's to invest in the network. Um, but when I looked at the profits, you know, they're yeah. not struggling. And surely yeah. these profits could be used um, to invest in the network for, the, for these same reasons. Um you know, and I've also discovered some of the good guys, the smaller providers who have these promises that they're never going to increase the mm. price mid-contract. Mm. We've got another company um, in East Yorkshire called KCOM who's actually cancelled the plan, the planned price hike, um, which was due to happen in the spring. So if they can do it, yeah. why can't the bigger providers do yeah. it? Yeah, and and what are you what are you advising people to do, Amelia? I mean, do you have to read the small print? Absolutely. So off, uh, Ofcom says, you know, it can't just be hidden in the small print. They've got to be quite, quite explicit about these um, price rises. Um, however, you know, for example, Talk Talk, it doesn't mention it till page five of the 17 pages of terms and conditions. Yeah. So read it very carefully, because essentially, if it's in the contract, um, you are obliged to pay it. You cannot, you cannot walk away from the contract mm. if it's in there, uh, which means if you do, you'll be subject to penalty fees which is usually the you know the remainder of the contract you'll have to pay for plus VAT so read it very carefully if you are hit with um, a price rise you know do contact the broadband provider because it may be that it wasn't made clear at the start Um, so you can't always argue that Mm. there are some providers who are quite vague Um, for example Sky sort of suggests that there could be price rises in the contract um, but it doesn't say the amount so if you know you notice your Sky bill going up if you're a customer Mm. do give them a call if you're not happy with it and with Virgin Media I was going to mention those yeah yes because you quote a customer here who got a a, a bill going up 12% from March Exactly. And they are one of the providers who do not bake 
this rise into the contract so with virgin media if it does it it can raise prices as and when it wants but as a customer you can walk away from the contract if you do so within 30 days of the announcement yeah and you're talking about profits so bt which is whacked prices up by 9.3 percent their pre-tax profits um last year 1.8 billion pounds exactly quite i mean it's huge yeah Exactly. And uh, and Vodafone, oh my God, that's who I'm with. £3.6 billion profit. Mm-hmm. And Sky, poor things, only £200 million, but they're still putting up people's prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, I think, at this time, as I said before, when people are struggling, um, people who may not have expected to struggle as well, this is just another another thing to hit them with yeah well let's give a cut a name check to these two companies that you quote amelia kcom or do you pronounce it kcom kcom okay they're in east yorkshire they've got two hundred fifty thousand customers they've cancelled their 9.3 percent price hike you say to help customers because they say they're already burdened by rising costs and zen internet eighty-five thousand customers a lifetime price guarantee that means it's 12, 18 and 24 month contracts remain the same for the duration. Well, exactly. And I mean, it seems that with broadband, they can, you know, if you commit to a 12 month contract, wouldn't yeah. you expect to have the same price the whole way through? You if you commit to any other fixed product, you're not expecting, you know, the mortgage rate to change during the term. You're not expecting your savings rate to mm. change with a fixed product. And yet broadband companies can can they can you know adjust the pricing um within this fixed term which i think is just appalling well i think it's really fascinating and you know what i'm gonna have to do when i get home i'm gonna have to go and check my small print because i think mine's gone up did you not do it at the start andrew well i won't have read 17 pages i can tell you that amelia <laughs> that's the trouble isn't it? i know yeah you look at you, look at, you, you sort of read a bit and think oh well, it'll be all right yeah I know. Well, that's, I mean, it's great advice as always from Money Mail. Read the small print, but also find these small companies where they're giving you um, guarantees they're not going to put up your prices. That's um, Amelia Murray, who is, of course, Chief Money Mail reporter here at the Daily Mail. Great stuff as usual. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back with you tomorrow, and you can have yourselves a very good evening. And good night.